Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation this morning will focus on a range of market scenarios that could play out over the course of the next six months and how to think about positioning your portfolio accordingly. So joining us today for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to be with you as always. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and looking forward to our conversation here on a Monday morning. Yeah, good morning, Dan. Yeah, it's good to be here on the start of the week. Absolutely. So, uh, Jason, as we both know, as we've been talking about over the past many weeks now, investors are increasingly worried about the possibility of a recession here in the U.S., uh, that coupled with high inflation. Now, in the latest CIO letter published last week, four scenarios are laid out within for how the market environment could evolve over the balance of 2022. So, Jason, can you describe for us each one of those four scenarios? So the four scenarios are uh, soft landing, but we avoid a recession. Growth stays you know, positive. Uh, the second is to find a slump in the letter, but it's basically recession where you actually get a recession. Uh, and next is stagflation, which is a little more subjective on how you want to define it. But basically, it's a situation where, where growth you know, slows, kind of skirts with kind of going negative to a recession, but doesn't necessarily kind of trend that negatively. But inflation stays high, you know, for a variety of factors. So inflation doesn't come down as much as, you know, the Fed would like. And, and it's probably something that it's more of a transition scenario so that you get stagflation like that. But ultimately, if inflation stays high, the Fed raises rates in the next six to 12 months. You know, that's a possibility. And then there's a reflation scenario. Uh, outcome. You know, everything kind of works out well in terms of inflation coming down geopolitical risk come down. That's kind of the ideal outcome for, for risk markets. Now, the thing about these scenarios is that they're is defined as much by so their market outcome as their economic outcome. So we're not sort of defining this as you know, purely an economic situation or recession, but thinking about like, well, what's the market outcome uh, in those four different scenarios? And by that, I mean, like, where's the S&P 100 at the year end? Where's the 10-year Treasury yield? Things of that sort. You know, so for example, on a soft landing, uh, we think that the S&P 500 will end the year around 3,900, uh, which is not that far. You know, actually, it's kind of right in line where, where we are right now, given some of where futures are pointing this morning. So limited sort of upside. Uh, and so the markets have, you know, you know, can certainly overshoot that. But ultimately, we think about, you know, potential for earnings downgrades for next year, keeping to the multiple where it is. You kind of end up flat from the current levels. Um, but in both a slump or recession and it by year end. But how they get there is different. In a slump situation, this is a recession, so you're going to see earnings growth cut, cut to the point where they're actually down 16% next year versus this year. So it's clearly kind of a, a recession. In stagflation, we actually see earnings growth being you know, mildly positive, you know, plus a few percentage points. The difference between the two is the interest rate assumption. If we get a recession, the rates are falling, so the 10-year goes to like 1.5% during a recession. But if we get stagflation, you know, yields are likely to go even higher as the market has to price in even more aggressive Fed action. So the 10-year goes to 4%. So in stagflation, earnings hold up better, but rates are higher, and therefore valuations, the multiples sort of impacted more negatively in that situation than it would be in a recession where earnings are cut, but the markets already start to look ahead for, um, you, know, you know, the recession ending, the Fed cutting rates, and sort of a better times ahead. So 
So think of these as, as you know four different macro outcomes, but very much focused on on the market and what sort of market scenarios would play out across the four different outcomes. Now that our listeners, our clients, have a better understanding of these four market scenarios, perhaps we can now assign some probability to each. And it was interesting within the letter CIO did assign more probability to a soft landing over the next six to twelve months rather than a recession. So what is the rationale for that, Jason? Well, let's start just with the probabilities themselves. For we're soft landing, we're seeing 40% chance for the recession, 30% chance, stagflation 20, and reflation 10. So no one scenario has a probability that's greater than 50%, where it's clearly kind of like, you know, the, the most likely or, or you, know, you know, more likely than everything else combined scenario. So it's fairly kind of evenly distributed. But ultimately, we leaned a little bit more in the context or putting probability on soft landing than a recession. It's clear that a recession risk has gone up over the past month, you know, due largely to worse than expected inflation data. And the Fed and other major central banks have become more aggressive as a result of that, hiking rates larger and, and sort of more front-loaded, sort of bringing them forward, but just you know, raises the risk of recession, in, at least in the near term. Now, if the Fed stays course according to its projections, which they were laid out in the recent FOMC meeting you know, a couple of weeks ago, where basically they said, you know, if we hike according to our projections, we'll get the Fed funds rate up to about 3.8% next year. Let's say by you know the, the end of the first quarter, definitely by the second quarter of next year. So within 12 months, the Fed funds rate would be close to 4%. If they actually hike that much, then the recession likely becomes sort of the base case or the most likely scenario in 20, by 2023. So probably like a 50% chance or higher recession if the Fed kind of goes that path. So what we're really assuming when we have more probability for soft landing is that the Fed won't go that far. And they won't go that far because, you know, growth could slow significantly. And the Fed does have a dual mandate. It's to, you know, keep price stability, but also have maximum employment. Thus far, the labor market is strong enough. They don't have to worry about the employment piece. They can focus entirely on inflation. But if we start to see growth slowing and the unemployment rate you know, ticking up or monthly job growth trending towards zero, the weekly initial jobless claims, if they start to tick higher, it's going to become more difficult for the Fed to focus only on inflation. And so I think that would potentially slow the Fed down a little bit, um, which if that if you're turning towards a recession, that has to happen. So if we don't, that doesn't happen, then there's less chance of recession, sort of you know, by definition. The other thing is inflation data could continue to sort of, you know, or decline. It's unlikely to move much over the summer, largely because of gas prices and commodity prices have moved up so much. And sort of projections for the summer suggest inflation is likely to stay around the level it was last month, which was 8.6% for headline CPI. So it's going to probably be in that range for the next couple of months, only starting to fall as we move later into the year. But what matters most for the Fed is, you know, the core measures, because ultimately, you know, at high energy costs, high food costs, you know, they're not going to continually go up at, that, at the level they have been this year. So as the core measure coming down, and uh, that's the you know, the critical point, if it trends down as the Fed projects, you know, or even more optimistically, which I know our investment bank is forecasting, that gives the Fed sort of an out to say, you know, we're trending in the right direction. We can hike less than, than what the market needs. So that could be the compelling evidence that, you know, Fed Chair Jay Powell has talked about. So all is equal. The Fed probably doesn't hike as much as what's been you know, what they project, and we've actually seen that in the markets just over the past week, almost pricing one full rate hike for the Fed over the course of the next 12 months, relative to where the market was just two weeks ago, and even now even pricing in rate cuts by the end of 2023. They could be a sign of the markets believing in a recession, but it's also sort of acknowledgement that growth is slowing, and therefore the Fed probably maybe won't do as much as they, um, you know, as they projected. 
And I would also say that this is not necessarily a high conviction call in terms of saying soft landing versus recession. It's close to toss up, 30 versus 40 percent, but we're leaning in one direction. I think conviction in general, in terms of the macro environment, is kind of lower than normal. You know, part of this is that there's just uncertainty of what exactly will the Fed do, where is its pain point? You know, at what point do they decide we have to focus more or as much on the labor market as inflation? There's a lot of focus on the consumer being very resilient. They've built up strong balance sheets, a lot of excess savings. But in the face of high inflation and rising rates, you know, just how resilient are those consumers? Will they hold up enough? And if they do, actually, could that be a negative? Because that means the economy doesn't slow and inflation doesn't come down. So does that have to get more aggressive? So that actually, it works both ways in terms of the consumer. It could be too strong, but also it could be weaker than expected. And there's also supply side issues that you know have been unpredictable in terms of how quickly it could continue to improve. That remains the case. So I think we have a little bit lower conviction than normal. In some way, the easier call is to say recession is you look at the sort of data on the slowing economy and you have a Fed that's in this mantra of like, we need to bring inflation down no matter what. You know, if you could the left path at least resistance to say, you know, recession looks likely. Um, you know, but I think if you ultimately, as an investor, what matters most is not so much the call of recession or not, but it's like what's in market pricing already and do you have a different view? And so relative to our 30% probability of recession, we're, you know, we think, well, you know, the markets are probably pricing a greater probability than that, let's say 40%. It's sort of subjective, but probably more than that 30% chance. So a lot of negative news is in the price. So as an investor, even if you are on the more pessimistic side, you think maybe recessions should have higher probability. The markets are already pricing that. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to do anything uh, with your portfolios. And when different ways we can try and assess it, I'd say overall there's not a lot of conviction amongst other investors what scenario is going to play out. And, and the one way you can just see it is just how sensitive some of the you know, equity markets are to a different data point coming out. If it surprises to the downside, then you know markets swing one way, and suddenly if you get a better data point as we got on Friday in terms of the long-term inflation expectations, you see equities rallying 3%. Same thing on fixed income. I think you have bond investors who are debating whether if there is a recession, are, are rates going down to 2% or is the tenure going to 3 4%? And it makes it harder to position, so you're kind of a little bit caught in sort of a no-man's land. I think that just all reflects no one has a lot of strong conviction exactly how this will play out, despite a lot of people saying a recession is inevitable. If you look at how what people are doing, I think that's not necessarily the case. Very helpful clarity. Now, that, that covers about half of it with respect to the scenarios, though. What is the case for the other two scenarios, those being stagflation and reflation. But to think about those, let's just think again about the, the uh, soft landing and recession scenarios. That's much more dependent on what the Fed does. You know, the Fed can sort of control how fast the economy is growing or slowing by the amount they sort of tighten policy. So on one dimension, you know, you have at one end of the spectrum, you have soft landing. The other end, you have a recession. Think of it like an XY axis, and that's the vertical axis. The Fed can sort of influence where exactly we lie on that particular axis. The horizontal axis is stagflation and reflation at different ends. And that's influenced more by supply-side issues that the Fed can't really control. Um, so, for example, if you have supply-side bottlenecks, they dissipate faster than expected. Uh, and that includes issues you know, like within China, if the lockdowns that they've been imposing because of COVID have built in entirely. If there's some sort of ceasefire, say, in the Ukraine war that allows commodities to sort of flow more you know, uh, easily, that could bring... All these things materialize, inflation will fall faster than expected. That means the Fed can hike less, and these constraints on growth start to fall away. So that's, that's the reflation scenario. That's kind of, you know, everything kind of works out really well. Uh, and if that's the case, asset prices should reflate. That's kind of, that's where the name comes from. If it turns out that these supply side problems don't even you know, get incrementally better, as we're assuming, they actually get worse, then you get a situation where stagflation becomes, you know, probably your, your more likely outcome because 
then inflation stays high because you can't solve these supply side problems. They constrain growth and you have slowing growth. May not have a recession because the Fed could dial back, but that becomes a situation. So those two scenarios are much more dependent on sort of how supply side issues evolve and they sort of tip it one way or another. Whereas the Fed, you know, is much more influential in terms of the soft funding versus recession scenario. Their, their impact, their ability to influence these other two uh, is much less uh, relevant. So, Jason, as you have been suggesting, the, the environment could very well be fluid over the next six months or so. So what should investors be watching to maybe reevaluate the probability of these scenarios and whether one becomes much more likely than the others? Well, in the very near term, I think the one thing we can start to focus on is just how well the consumer is holding up. And this Wednesday, we get data on the personal consumption expenditures for May. It reflects all the consumer spending, not just buying goods and retail sales. A couple of weeks ago, we got a May retail sales report that was weak that showed signs of the consumer starting to really fill a squeeze. But retail sales are much more skewed towards goods. It's stuff that people are buying, physical goods, where services are more broad-based, includes travel and leisure, but also healthcare services, financial services. What we've expected for a long time is that as the economy exits the pandemic, that you get a normalization of spending patterns as people spent heavily on goods for two years. Now that's been dialed back, so it's not surprising retail sales are coming down and they're spending more on services. So the fact that retail sales was negative, that could also just be a reflection of normalization in the economy. So seeing how well the consumer is holding up and seeing sort of underlying details of those expenditures that we get later this week, that's kind of critical. It could give us a sense as we move through the summer just how much or how well that consumer is holding up. Um, if it isn't holding up, again, that makes the recession risk more likely, but also means the Fed probably pulls back sooner. If they're holding up quite well, near term it reduces recession risk, but it may end up meaning that inflation isn't coming down. So that's why the next data point in terms of what's happening with inflation uh, is, is very critical. On Thursday, we get the the, the personal consumer expenditure inflation data, uh, which we have a pretty good idea whether it's going to be based on CPI and PPI. That should continue to show a decline for May relative to the prior months. So the core measures look very much like they peak in February and will continue to decline to something like around 4.8%. The Fed's projecting that gets down to 4.1% by year-end. Some of our economists are saying it could actually fall to 3.5%. If it goes that direction, that's a positive development. So those are kind of the, you know, the critical signs of inflation pressures moderating. Other things that you know we'd look at, at least in the next week, uh, are the ISM manufacturing days to see if production is slowing down. The tricky thing about looking at the data and figuring out the scenarios, though, is that the two key things that really matter for the Fed, inflation and, and employment, like the labor market, those are both lagging indicators in the economic cycle. They, you know, they tend to sort of respond at the, at the end. For example, companies wait until you know, they absolutely have to to lay off employees because it's hard to rehire. So you may not see unemployment tick up until we're kind of already a recession has begun. Same time, on the inflation front, companies might be reluctant to cut prices. Um, you know, they'll, they'll figure out other ways to sort of do it. They might shrink, you know, shrink the size of the package, things of that sort. But they don't want to cut prices. They'll sort of you know, hold on as long as they can. So things could be evolving in a way where the underlying conditions are shifting, but the inflation and the unemployment data are a little bit lagging, which is difficult for them for the Fed. And it's also difficult for the market. So we, we you know, might be down, trending down one scenario, then all of a sudden you realize the data, the inflation and employment data have gone in a different direction. Uh, and very quickly, you have to sort of assess and say, well, we've switched from soft landing to recession or vice versa. But those are the things that I would look for. And the one thing that's perhaps left on investors' radar is Russia natural gas exports to Europe. Um, these have been down, and part of it, they've recently been down because there's a main pipeline, the, the Nord Stream pipeline, that transports natural gas from Russia to Europe. 
that's been closed for maintenance. There's some more that when it's sort of done, the maintenance, and within a week or two, that Russia will stop or won't supply natural gas, um, or certainly not to the extent they were before. So that, they cut off supplies entirely. Europe has a few months of sort of spare capacity, kind of inventory, but they have to start rationing. If they have to start rationing, that means production slows. And it's very, very likely in that case that Europe goes into recession. If it does, West won't be immune. It certainly makes the recession risk look more likely. So that one will have a better idea in a few weeks on how that plays out. But that's something that perhaps under the radar, but it's actually quite critical for the economic outlook in the very near term. So, Jason, there is a lot here to consider. And, of course, conditions could evolve in a variety of ways over the second half. Though, given these scenarios that you just laid out for us based on what we know today, Jason, how should investors be thinking about allocation within their portfolio at this time? Well, big picture, you know, this is not a market where we say you want to position for any one scenario with high conviction or make strong directional calls such as like, you know, overweight or underweight in equities. There's such extreme uncertainty or high uncertainty that, you know, if you get, get it right, great. But if you get it wrong, then you can be also painful in the other direction. Where I think you want to start to make some adjustments to your portfolios, tilted, generally speaking, towards higher quality assets, more defensive assets. That applies both within equities, the type of equities you're buying, but also uh, even within fixed income, sort of you're kind of going up in quality, taking less credit risk. This is reflective in a sector change or two sector changes we made last week in the U.S., where we downgraded materials from a neutral to a least preferred view. Materials tend to be quite economically sensitive and their performance is tied to economic growth. At the same time, upgrading consumer staples, which is a classic defensive sector, from least preferred to neutral. Um, there's still concerns about the consumer, which is why it's, you know, had been least preferred and we were reluctant to take it to most preferred. But generally speaking, the defensive property is kind of in favor it well. So just, you know, more adjustments at the margin to kind of make the portfolio a little more resilient if there is a downturn. Um, but we wouldn't suggest significantly de-risking, you know, your portfolio, selling equities in preparation for a recession. The one thing about if, if reducing equity exposure is that you have to have almost two decisions in mind. If you sell now because you think there'll be a recession, there's much more downside. You also need a plan of like, well, what's the condition for when you want to buy back? Because equities could sell off on recession concerns if it, appear, if it appears likely, if earnings are being cut. But if we also get the Fed pivoting and taking a much more dovish tone and even starting to cut rates, equities could bounce back very quickly. So you might sell at a certain level, the bottom market troughs, but by the time you're back, it may not be close to the level that you actually sold at. So you have to wonder, is it really kind of worth that sort of round trip? And it's difficult to, you know, to time these things exactly. Now, the more the market sort of rally on, on maybe sentiment and sort of positive news in the near term, more the risk rewards start to look less attractive because remember our, our price target is all finding for year end is thirty nine hundred. So if you get far above it, then I think that might be something where you want to potentially trim exposure. But that that's not where we are right now. Also, we still like value stocks, we still like commodities, which have certainly been an underperformer recently. Because if we get a soft landing, as we think, or reflation, or even stagflation, commodities would do well in those scenarios. Recession, not so much. There's a lot more detail in, in the uh, the letter, but also we published a second half outlook report that kind of looks at different investment ideas in each scenario. So I think it's best for for, for, for you know, more ideas. I think the overall social dynamic of high market volatility that we've experienced this year, this is likely to persist throughout the, su- persist throughout the summer. As long as inflation is high, as long as the Fed is very much in the mode of trying to get down inflation, that will be the case until we get some positive developments on either front of inflation starting to kind of clearly come down or the Fed hinting at or indicating that perhaps they want to kind of pause on the rate hikes. I think until we get that, the markets are going to be very choppy um, and, and 
what we've expected the past two months, that's likely to persist for the, for the next couple of months. Jason, very helpful and productive conversation to begin the week. A lot here to consider. And as Jason pointed out, do encourage our listeners, our clients to take a look at the two pieces that Jason has referenced. Again, those are the UBS Houseview monthly letter that titles Stagflation, Reflation, Soft Landing, or Slump, as well as Jason Trejo's most recent blog. Uh, that title is Roadmap. Both pieces available on UBS.com forward slash CIO, though, of course, for our clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive copies of both directly. Though, Jason, thank you again for dropping by for the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Wish you a great week ahead and looking forward to picking back with our conversation again soon. You're welcome and have a great week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.